0: Chapter clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now, here's your host, Rob on mic. Hey, good day, everyone. It's College Volleyball Weekly, episode 12. That's right. We are two thirds away, almost complete with the regular season. We've got a special guest today. Welcome from Fort Valley State University. I guess he's the twin brother of Theo Edwards, from what he's claiming. That's uh, Larry Rather. And of course, well, depending on where your window is at, you got Theo Edwards of Cal State Northridge, Dan Friend of Lewis, Jay Hossack of George Mason, and Brad Rothstratter of the Big West and UC San Diego. So, excellent week of news. we got to start off with some... um, Unfortunate news, and that's the news that came out Monday, Tuesday, that St. Francis, Brooklyn announced they're going to be canceling all of their intercollegiate sports programs. So I want to get your guys' take on it, and I'm going to start with the guy who's closest to that would be Jay Hosick of George Mason, who's in the EIVA, and they were in the newly formed NEC conference. So jump in, Jay.
1: Yeah, it's just an, an unfortunate circumstance, especially for all those athletes that, A, are being recruited this year to go in next year as freshmen. And B, for all the young guys that, you know, got to that school and, and chose it for whatever reasons they did. And, you know, now all of a sudden they're without a home. Uh, and that's really unfortunate. So, you know, the, the school is just, there's not a lot of students there. There's only 2,300 and it's not exactly cheap. And, you know, they're trying to expand, but there's there's no income revenue stream. So, you know, it it's unfortunate for them. I don't think it's a trend. I don't think it's anything that any other schools have to worry about. Um, unless you're a small place and you're trying to, you know, obviously make some things happen, but uh, I think it's a one-off, unfortunately, but yeah, all those kids, I mean, I guarantee you all of us on the screen have already gotten emails from a few of those guys and they're looking for someplace to land and hopefully someplace they uh, they they can find pretty soon because that's a, that's a daunting task for this late in the game.
0: All right. Any of the other guys on the screen want to comment on the uh, St. Francis, Brooklyn situation?
2: I'm not sure. I mean, ultimately, I feel for those athletes across the board, not just volleyball, but they have a lot of sports there that are getting affected by that. But I don't think it's the last you're seeing of the small college closing effect. Like I I think there's, we saw a little bit of right post COVID with some impact of small schools. I think you're going to see in the next five to 10 years, the small colleges are going to get impacted and hopefully not too many with men's volleyball in that sense. But uh, I think it's that piece where tuition driven schools and depending on what's going on or how they're you know, attacking their enrollment. I think those online schools that have that as a platform are in a good space. Uh, I think you're seeing less kids go to college in person. There's a, there's a larger dynamic with that, I think, just uh, where kids are at and everything. So uh, hopefully we don't see as much of that impact men's volleyball, but we have seen a ton of growth in men's volleyball at the small college, D2, mid-major, D1s that are adding in a little bit. And so hopefully we can survive with the continued growth, even though some of those colleges might be impacted uh, in the future.
1: And and I'll piggyback. That's a really good point, Dan, about the the, uh, kids, less kids going to college. That seems to be a trend, uh, which, you know, listen, with the way college costs are going up, I completely understand that. And they're doing more trade school stuff, which I think is valuable as well. Um, But, you know, a lot of people are asking, you know, first point gave money uh, to the school and will they get the money back? First point didn't write, you know, a $200,000 check right out of the gate and said here. It was in small increments that were going to be given every year for however many years that they structured their deals. So uh, unfortunate that that money that they did give them is already not being uh, used, but it, they're not on the hook for a larger amount that uh, that everybody had thought so.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think I mentioned to you in our text thread or to everyone that is this similar to the Urbana men's volleyball program situation. And, but it is different areas. I know if anyone's been to Manhattan, there is nowhere to grow there. (laughs) So it was all a money situation then from what it sounds like. And, you know, interesting from the ESPN article, I got most of my information from, it said that there's a shrinking pool of high school graduates in the aftermath of the pandemic. So the pandemic's still wreaking havoc, but, you know, I just assume that, you know, the population's grown over in the last, you know, X amount of years, You'd think that there'd be a was a direct uh, growth with that, but I guess it's not. So interesting that. But uh, any other thoughts on the uh, St. Francis, Brooklyn situation? Now, so the NEC goes still has seven teams in the conference, and uh, they'll still be playing for that auto bid because this is year
2: one of the NEC. So next
0: year, I think, or are they expediting that? Do you know, Dan, or
2: they're not? They got to get through two years on it. So they they finish this year, and then they got to get through next year. Once they finish the second year, they'll apply for their bid going into the third year. Uh, So that's kind of how that process goes. Um, We're hoping, you know, we still haven't heard from when the championship budget committee is going to meet. Uh, for that uh, proposal. So when I hear something, I'll let you guys know. So. There you go. Our inside man, Dan Friend from Lewis.
0: Hey, uh, let's go to our matches of the week. And you know, there are some a lot of activity. I, you know, we try to avoid the words upsets. We'll just call them surprises, but uh, what are the matches? Grand no, got-
2: Canyon is an upset. That's an upset. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, Gage Doble stepped up. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We wanted to talk about one of the guys directly affected on the screen, our brother from another mother, Cal State Northers is Theo Edwards who experienced a Hawaii steam train twice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, tell us Theo what what you think of your matches and uh sure. your team and where Hawaii is at.
3: Yeah, you know, obviously uh we played Friday, Saturday. Um, I thought Hawaii did some really nice things and and found their rhythm right out of the gate. Uh and looked like the team that we've kind of all been talking about. Um, I think t- two out of the six sets we ended up hitting north of 350. Uh, one of them was like 410. Didn't really matter. Uh Hawaii was <clears throat> Hawaii was better than us in a lot of different areas. And you know, a lot of it comes down to the fact that they've got so many weapons. Uh night one, we really focused on Chakas and uh and they ended up sending they ended up sending Chaz Galloway uh, the most number of balls and and Chaz did a really nice job with them. And, you know, we made some mistakes down the stretch, but you know, the biggest thing for Hawaii and, and one of the things that I think they do incredibly well, um, especially against a team like us, is they're incredibly consistent. We we forced them in into making a, a bunch of mistakes, but they only make one and then they'll go on three or four plays in a row where they play incredibly, incredibly perfect volleyball um, with very few mistakes. And, you know, I think the biggest piece is is Jacob Tello. I mean, that guy is just – that setter is so impressive in so many ways and just the ability to execute game plans. But not only that, when something isn't working right, he finds another way. And um, Yeah, I got to tip my hat Hawaii played – fantastic against us
0: it's hashtag Tela on two is the alternate play that they go to <laughs> which the uh, announcers were announcing quite a bit um gotta ask you though theo that sure. night is there something wrong with the altitude in northridge because ball deflation in over deflation issues half hour delay
3: i have never seen anything quite like this um and so here's what's interesting so the ball is on hawaii's side it's a close game i think it's like 7 all 8 all right in the second set not the first set which i thought was really interesting and their server goes back to serve and charlie notices he can put like two thumbs into the ball because it's so flat and so he immediately tells the down ref hey what's going on like this ball is flat and the down ref starts to panic i mean like like he starts to panic and then starts asking the the ball shaggers right who have like the ball system where they're tossing the ball around to all bring all the balls over and what we realized is he never checked any of the ball pressures and so (laughs) while we all sit and wait I mean it took at least 15 minutes for him to inflate all the balls and and there was a moment where Charlie and I meet at the net and he goes, man, if I had known this was going to happen, I would have waited till you were serving to call this out. <laughs> so we had a pretty good laugh, but it was, uh, yeah, it was quite embarrassing for the referee. Well, what, what
1: does that say about your program, Theo? You're not pumping the balls up during practice and just letting them get <laughs> yeah, flat. And- a little bit of a
3: Tom Brady effect. You know, we figured if they're serving tough, if we deflate the balls, we could probably control it a little bit better. And you know, keep us a little more in system. So that was our mindset. Referees just didn't pick up on it till set two. Science, right
0: there. (laughs) All right, let's start with our guests. Uh, Thoughts on Hawaii and Northridge, Larry Rather of Fort Valley State University. I mean, Theo kind of hit it on the head,
4: right? Like Hawaii's playing the cleanest style of volleyball. Next to, I mean, your your top half of guys are playing really clean volleyball, and that's something we're trying to add into the SIAC right now. Is we have glimpses of things, but what they're doing on big boy level is really uh, inspiring for guys. So sorry, Theo, but it's kind of one of those things you go, it was expected and it's kind of what you thought was going to happen. But uh, Theo tried to get his way out of it and pull his Tom Brady moments, you know, to give them a little bit of an edge in that game, but it didn't really work out. But just being able to go on those runs and only have one error and then tie some more together, like that is what, men's volleyball is right or volleyball in general because it is a game of errors and those who can play the cleanest and minimize their own errors and put the ball in the other team's court maybe it's not a difficult ball or a hard hit ball but it puts you in a tough position to score out of which then gives them the advantage so they're playing some high iq volleyball which is very uh, enjoyable to watch wow larry throwing
0: salt right in the beginning and then like buttering it up towards the end i like that it's good Welcome to the Larry. <laughs> I'll get you a hat that says throw salt. All right, here yes. we go. <laughs> um, let's go to Brad, who will actually – I can't even remember if you've seen Hawaii yet. But uh, we'll uh-huh. go to Brad in the Big West.
5: Yeah, I mean, they played clean volleyball like they normally do, right? And, like, look at ShotKass. Didn't have the best night offensively or the best two nights offensively, but made a huge impact with his serve and passing and service even. it's like – that's what the better players in the country do. If things aren't perfect or they're game planning around them, which looks like Theo was, and, and it's probably pretty smart. Uh, he finds other ways to impact the game, you know, and then the other players around him, Jazz, Mucleus, both of those guys hit over 500 for the weekend. And then you got Voss who is dominating um, really at every phase from his blocking to his attacking, and even from the end line. Um, so yeah, it just shows you a well-rounded team and, how they're able to adjust to what a team is taking away um, and still have impacts to help their team win. Yeah. Jump over to Dan of Lewis.
2: Not much. I mean, not much to add. I, I think Jakob's a player of the year candidate, you know, and then you've got four or five all Americans on that team playing at the level they should be towards the end of the year. So um, you know, I think they went in and took care of business on a road match. And you're interesting you know, you think about it like seven or eight years ago, we used to talk about, Hawaii couldn't play on the road. I think that's gone away over the past four or five years where they've done a great job of playing on the road now after they travel off the island. So yeah. This
1: goes
0: close that with Jay,
2: our topic, Hawaii Northridge.
1: I won't I won't take long. Experience plus athleticism, usually it's a winning combination, and that's what Hawaii's got right now. So there's a reason why they're in the top five and, and wherever you put them in the in the polls. I, I think it's all warranted.
2: Yeah. We'll see so, who's number one this week,
1: right?
2: It won't be Penn State. So no, it won't. Right wow.
0: <laughs> now you're shaking salt at Pav, and he's not even on oh. here.
3: <laughs> you know, hey, what we were kids? saying that last week, at least, maybe one of us. So. <laughs>
0: Well, I thought it was interesting is uh, for Theo, a couple of guys have been playing really well for you, Griffin Walters and Kyle Hobus, and, you know, they were really minimized. And, and I mean, it just shows how good Hawaii is uh, offensively and defensively because Hobus has held to a yeah. little 12 kills. Uh, Griffin fight. hit
3: 474 night one, hit 300 night two. Um, he's playing pretty well right now.
0: Yeah. So, uh, still, again, got to finish out. We're only uh, just under halfway for, in conference play in the Big West. so you know we'll be talking about some upcoming matches But I get to see Theo in person this Friday. So that'll be a fun one. Um, let's go over to our next match. Unranked CUI. See, I got the branding right. Even though Jay's going to argue it's Concordia University, Irvine, uh, defeats number five, Grand Canyon night one, split the weekend series. Let's get your guys' response. Let's start with, uh, Dan first on this one.
2: Gage Doble. You know what I mean? (laughs) So that guy's an athlete and a beast. And so I think, uh, ultimately he, uh, it was a pretty bright spot, I and mean, I think Concordia's got a couple players. That uh, opposite is that Urel, is that right? Yuri right? Yeah, I mean he's pretty good too. I think uh, so. There's got a couple athletic pieces, and I, I'm not sure whether Grand Canyon underestimated them or just uh, things got a little flat for them. But uh, they kind of opened the door in a couple of those sets, and you know uh, Concordia did a nice job of capitalizing. So I think. Uh, uh, but you did see Grand Canyon respond the second night. Uh, and take care of business, you know what I mean, in terms of that. so
0: Yeah, they went 37-35 and set one on uh, night two. So uh, there was definitely a battle still going on there. Um, Let's go to uh, Theo.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I feel like we're in years past, we've been used to seeing situations like this, right? A little bit of a trap game, Um, a team like CUI who on paper, maybe you don't think that they're going to be great they've got some athletes and they're capable of playing at a really high level. Uh, and I think Dan hit it on the head. Maybe grand Canyon took it lightly. Maybe that first night they, they thought that maybe this was going to be an easier match than it was. And Concordia was ready. They came prepared. And, you know, I think Batista is, you know, he's been electric all year. And especially in, in big games, he's, he's done a great job. And for them to have Gage step up the way that he did, I thought that was really, really impressive. So Yeah, I got to tip my hat to Concordia. I thought they took advantage of a a nice situation. And then we watched Grand Canyon turn around and do what they probably should have done both nights. But that's why we play it. Right. You got to uh, you got to bring it in as a top five team as Grand Canyon is. uh, You know, you can't take nights off.
0: There you go. Piece of advice there for other
4: coaches out there. Right. Let's go over to uh, Larry rather of Fort Valley State. I mean, it's the thing you love about this month, right? I'm not a huge basketball fan, but the month of March brings out the dog in a lot of people, right? And you get to see it televised on ESPN of all these underdogs coming through and beating these top seeds. And it goes to show you any given day, any given night, it's anyone's game. It's who comes in with the most heart and wanting to fight through the game. Um, and, And Irvine showed that, right? Concordia showed that in the first night. But at the same time, GCU responded they didn't lay over and take it as oh we just let this go they came back the next night and rolled it through and cleaned up some things that they needed to clean up uh, from the first night but it, it goes to show you in the men's volleyball realm anybody at any time can have a win yeah go to
1: jay you know concordia of irvine and again i paid my money i i got my degree my master's in there I think they took your name off the rolls though. That's okay. I still have the shingle. I'm good. Um, You know, Concordia is arguably the, uh, the little brother in that conference. When you think about it, I mean, look at the schools that they're up against every single weekend, the money, the the facilities, uh, everything you could think of. Concordia is going to have a chip on the shoulder They're kind of like Damon. Damon's got a chip on the shoulder and they're good reminiscent i think of old and theo might agree with this of old northridge back in the days when you when you were a kid that went to northridge your goals and aspirations were back then not now but back then hey i want to go to ucla i want to go to usc i want to go to you know wherever else And those places maybe didn't pick you up and all of a sudden you go to northridge and now you got a chip on your shoulder and they play with a lot of heart and a lot of moxie concordia is coached by riley salmon not exactly a sit back in a chair kind of coach you know he's He's fiery. He inspires his guys. They want to play hard, and they've got a humongous chip on the shoulder. They walk into those gyms and go, "We don't care how big our facility is, or how much money we have, or what we can spend. We're going to go in there and we're going to fight tooth and nail." And, and Gage Doble, he's a kid that fits that mold perfectly. So, kid had a big night in night one. He had twenty two kills, hit six hundred. It's not a bad welcoming uh, or coming out party, if you ask me. So, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. I think it surprises everybody though for the obvious reason that Grand Canyon was doing so well in top five in the country, but it is an upset for sure. Yeah, Let me ask true. this.
2: I mean, I knew about Gage before, but was he not playing? Does anybody know where the status
5: so is? He's going? been rehabbed. He's coming back from an injury. So he just kind of got clear. That's why Scott Montez was playing a little earlier. Right. So him getting back has been important for them being a little bit better. And then you see it right with from night one to night two, night one, he hit 600 night two doesn't have the same success. Right, right. Um, and that piece of that group grows a little bit more now with what seems to be their lineup um, as they're getting healthier. Um, seeing that, I mean, we could see that matchup in the first round of the MPSF conference tournament. You know, and it's going to be really interesting to see that after, you know, splitting with them at Grand Canyon, what that looks like at a neutral site or wherever they're playing the MPSF tournament is going to be really, really fun to watch. And as you could tell, even night three, those scores 35 37, 25 23. It's going to be a battle for whoever that second place team in the MPSF is. If Concordia does end up in that seventh spot, um, that's going to be a tough first round to get through. The, 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 I'll follow up on that, Brad. When you look
1: at all of the conferences and how their playoffs are going to shake out, it's arguably going to be the teams that can play longer stretches of good matches together. That are obviously going to win. And, and listen, I know that's a dumb moment for some people, but there are some teams like Concordia, uh, some teams like Princeton, some teams like Charleston that could be hot on one night and then the next night not be so hot. And that's gonna, that's gonna hurt some people. So you'll see some surprise, you know, matches would go the other way than you think. But can they sustain that throughout the course of the playoffs and into the NCAAs? And we're noticing that the teams that do that the most are the teams that are in the top five right now.
0: I was gonna to go to Brad and finish, but his comment. Unless you have anything else to add on top of that, no, that was that was perfect. That was it. I was waiting for the. Well, you know, he's from Orange Coast College, Gage Doble, and uh, he only had one error, and uh, I coached him <laughs> through Bubble Bay Club. I was waiting for that stuff. <laughs> but yeah, a great performance, and, and you know, for our fans and viewers, Grand Canyon's playing good ball, and for him to only have one error and twenty-two kills against a team with. Some, a pretty phenomenal pair of liberos on their side that's pretty stinking good so um hats off to uh riley and the uh, golden eagles of C-U-I-J. cui cui
4: <laughs> and the the grand canyon gym atmosphere is very difficult to play in on top of that like if you add that into it and them winning that first night it gets pretty rowdy in that gym from their fans so it's not like it was an easy win they just played great volleyball there was a lot of things against them in that first night that they were able to overcome.
0: Yeah. They throw those student body raves before the match, apparently from what I've been hearing.
4: <laughs> Fun stuff.
0: <clears throat> That's right. You might see Jay showing up at a few of them going back to the days in his eighties uh, uh, outfits. <laughs> Let's go to our next match. Um, this is a big one. An EIBA team handed it to a, well, I don't want to say handed. It was a great battle to a, I'm sure uh, the MIVA is like, whoa, what happened there? Number nine, Loyola, beaten by Princeton, 5-1, Sam Schweisky's crew. Let's uh, let's start with Brad on this one. We, he's been the tail end of our group discussion. So let's
2: start with Hey, you didn't part. talk about the other uh, MIVA team handling to number one Penn State either. Wait, wait, wait. Gonna, we still uh, have one more topic left, Dan. <laughs> I just, just want to make sure I throw that out there just so you know. So,
1: gotcha. you.
5: <laughs> <laughs> DJ Murray. <Marie. laughs> All right, Brad, fire away. Yeah, I mean, Loyola was probably better in just about every aspect of the game, except for they didn't have Ben Harrington, and that was what led Princeton to win in that match. It was they passed a little bit better, serving was kind of a wash. Um, offensively, it was pretty similar. It's just Ben Harrington from the service line, Ben Harrington attacking, Ben Harrington out of system. Um, and he's a hell of a player, and that's someone to be scared of if you're in the EIVA,
0: 100%. Yep, let's go over to, uh, let's go to Jay.
1: <clears throat> yeah, no, I Ben Harrington had 18 kills and had five aces in the match against uh, Loyola. The the thing that I think is the most uh, telling is, I was talking to John Hawks after the match, and he goes, uh, hey, take a guess how many aces Ben had. And I go, it felt like 10 or 11. He goes, yeah, he only had five. But he serves with such pace that even the ones they did get up were really out of system, and it felt like an ace. And, and even Hawks went up to the kid afterwards and was like, geez, Louise, kid, it's a great match by you. He is so athletic. He was hitting a few serves in the mid-70s, low-70s. He is so athletic, though. There was a ball, I remember, the setter, uh, Wedbush, shot it across the court longwise. It never got above maybe midway in the antenna. Like it literally was a straight line midway through the antenna the entire way. Harrington recognizes it, steps into the court just a little bit, hits the ball sideways, still with pace enough to make the ball go down without anybody touching it. That's that's next level stuff. That kid could be in anybody's gym right now and be a starter. He is that good. So Ben Harrington, and he's my choice for player of the week. Don't anybody steal him. (laughs) <laughs> make you can't call games clear. like that?
5: What the heck, Jay? <laughs>
3: Shut yeah. gun.
5: He it, it He started right?
3: that last week. This is yeah. illegal. You cannot Okay,
5: there's, there's, Wait for the first segment next week. It's coming. Uh- <laughs> there's
1: no rules. There's no written rules. There's hey, Young Youngbox,
2: young he's the right? old guy on the show, okay? So he gets to do what he wants. That That's right. Sense? Thank <laughs> you.
1: Thank you.
0: <laughs> Let's go to Larry of Fort Valley State on the uh, the uh, uh gosh, my Loyola and uh Princeton match.
4: Uh let me start off. I love the coaching staff at Loyola, but being a ball state alum, I hate Loyola, so I'm glad they <laughs> lost. <laughs> <laughs> Just my Miva pride coming in there, but um Loyola's been Yeah. Um, but Loyola's been playing some really good ball in conference and, and handling a lot of really good things, but Ben is a guy even when I was in the EIVA coaching at Charleston we were trying to get him it wasn't really a guy we probably were going to get but he was a guy that everyone wanted because they knew what he was capable of and what he was going to be able to produce and he's been doing that his whole career and now he's really starting to get that IQ at a higher level where he's starting to figure some things out faster than everyone else and tying them together um he plays a a good style of way. I like to think of it of grass volleyball, right? You play grass. It's all about, everyone can score offensively, but the way you really score points is defensively and from the service line. And he's putting some pace from that in line. That's really becoming more of an advantage than a disadvantage for their program that they can really start to tie some more points around. If he continues that pace.
2: Good call. Jump over to Dan. Well, uh, I think ultimately Colton Brooks still isn't in the lineup um, in terms of that. So I think that's not to take anything away from Princeton, but we played Loyola on Thursday um, and Loyola's got their strengths for sure. And they're playing good, but I mean, Loyola gets a short turnaround, goes out and plays Princeton in Princeton's gym. Princeton gets hot. We we already talked about Ben, how good he is. Um, And then they go to Mason and, you know, Mason almost had him. You know, you go to five and, two points to it. I mean, I think out of the nine games they played five or six of them were two point games with Loyola between those two matches. So I think Loyola is extremely talented. I I think they're even a little bit better when Brooks is back in the lineup in terms of what they can do uh, with the three pins. Um, I mean, Jack Yance passes ball uh, well, but he's certainly not as offensive as Colton in terms of that. So um, they get him back on the floor over the next couple of weeks here. Uh, I, I think certainly that puts them even in a better spot in terms of that. But Compliment to Sam and his guys finding a way to get a win, which I think is a key confidence build as they continue in the conference play. So, yeah,
1: it, they played uh, Loyola in our gym. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. Snaggered sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's why I was pointing. I was like, no, no, no. They played that uh, wasn't uh, an
2: Eagles Eagle, game. right? Yours was an Eagle,
1: right? Or were they both? Yeah. As- ours was an Eagle Bank and, and theirs was in the rack. Uh, right. And yeah, it was close. We almost, we, we should have, should have made a couple less errors. It might have been a different story, but it was a good match.
0: Let's come back to your match It's a Sunday afternoon to close out the weekend and Jay's Patriots take Loyola to, to five. So, uh, hey, but Jay already commented, a few errors here and there. And, you know, he's still salty, but who didn't know that already? <laughs> let's, let's finish out the topic with uh, Theo Edwards.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I thought the more interesting piece of the stat line uh, was Loyola did a fantastic job against Nero. Um, Nero hit 111. And typically, if you can hold Nero to that type of stat line, you're going to have a shot at beating Princeton for sure. Um, and, you know, I'm looking back at the scouting report from when we played Princeton, and, and there's a there's a line on there that says, just survive Ben at the end line. Um, and it's the truth. I mean, that kid just has the ability to do some really, really explosive things from the end line. And, you know, I think uh, Jay was the one who hit it on the head that his serve was just dynamite. Uh and the fact that they were able to rally a series of points off of his serve. And obviously he hit incredibly, uh, what he hit three twenty four on 37 swings. Yeah. He had a great night. Um, and so this Princeton team, I think is, you know, as usual per per Sam's usual, you know, they have their ups and downs, but I think when it comes down to it, they're a pretty scary team. And I think they're four and two in the EIVA. And I don't know that anybody wants to play them when Ben Harrington's hot.
0: I'll tell you one thing from a fan base perspective: if you're watching a guy who's hitting over a 70 mile an hour jump serve, you got to hear the pop. There's not you can't get that on the live stream. But when you're right there, I saw Matt Anderson in a USA match was standing behind him, get that toss, and the pop off the ball is so loud, you can just tell this thing is coming at you so fast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that you were talking about Nero. I think the thing that people are maybe not aware of. So Nicodemus Meyer, who plays on Loyola top five in the country in blocks right now he's 1.4 or 1.3 something and he hits at 470 clip and he's this big 610 wide kid that takes up a ton of space so I think uh probably under the radar middle a little bit um in terms of what he's producing for that Loyola team
0: yep all right next topic and you know I actually forgot to mention we're going to keep Dan's topic that he kind of snuck out there already for the very last one because it was involving the former number one team but man there was a battle in Provo Utah that I forgot to put in our notes that went five sets both nights with resulting in one of the athletes getting 37 stinking kills in a match so uh that's the uh Pepperdine at BYU I, I have a feeling I didn't send you guys those stat lines but you know Mix Romanis has been the under you know flying below the radar outside hitter in the nation this year because he gets it done. You know, not big numbers, but he's so consistent enough to give his other players enough freedom to score for BYU but his numbers aren't so bad. You know, he's actually up there. He led the way on uh Saturday night, 18 kills, 361 ace, 8 digs, 3, but it's the other stuff, the intangibles that he's doing that's giving BYU the edge and because for the first time I think uh Sean said that he doesn't have like this big name on his roster this year. It's a bunch of guys contributing to this team's efforts. But I wanted to get your guys' comments on the BYU Pepperdine matches because that's a 7 8 matchup. And I suspect there will be a flip this year in the AVCA, or this year, this week in the AVCA poll. So let's start with you, Dan.
2: <clears throat> well, I think ultimately you were talking about it, Nick's. Oh, by the way, <laughs> it's my player of the week, and I'm going to go ahead and say it right <laughs> now. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I think you said it. Uh certainly Pepperdine, the unfortunate Pepperdine's super talented. They they tend to be a little bit of a one-man show at times. And again, player of the year candidate, you know, Jalen Jasper, like phenomenal numbers this year, and is playing really next level volleyball for him. Uh, but I don't know, BYU's got a contingent of guys that kind of step around. Mix is kind of the the staple, but he is the other guy there's setter. He's a transfer from Grand Canyon who's come in and really does a nice job and steadies him out. Uh, I think he had double digit digs one night. And so I think he's done some nice things for them and really helped carry some of that load from distributing the offense. Yep.
3: Go to Theo. Yeah, this, this might've been the matchup of the week. um, Just in the sense that, you know, you obviously got seven versus eight and, you know, I think it's always a little bit difficult to figure out, especially from a rankings perspective, like which one of those teams is truly better And to have a matchup in March like this um, is perfect. It's the telltale story. And, you know, I I think I was shocked to see, and we played the same night, so I didn't get to watch either one of these live, but I was shocked to see that Jasper on night two only hit 049, um, which very few teams have been able to hold him to that type of a hitting percentage. But I was even more surprised that it went five. Like it going five without Jalen playing the way that Jalen has been playing all year, I think is is an absolute testament to Pepperdine's team standing up and trying to find another way if Jalen's not being successful. And I think that, you know, that obviously is a testament to why they're in the top 10. And uh, they're definitely a top 10 caliber team. But BYU definitely got the, uh, got the edge in this one. And it'd be nice to see them play again in the MPSF playoffs. Um, I think these are obviously two teams that are going to be going to be a force down the stretch and uh you know excited to see what they look like towards the end of the season.
0: I had to look at the uh, box scores and i'm I'm assuming that it was Trent Moser who was on Jalen Jasper who uh, had eight block assists on his own. so uh Trent Moser has been a, a huge contributor to the Cougars
4: uh, without that let's jump, uh, Larry thoughts on the BYU Pepper nine uh, I mean BYU is going to show why volleyball is the most team oriented sport right? They don't have necessarily one guy who's carrying the full load. I mean, Pepperdine does with Jalen, but they still have some stars within there that help carry it for him, but he's obviously carrying the load. Um, But on the flip side, the second night, they still went five while Jalen was hitting terrible, right? Like he's hitting .049. So his teammates found a way to still get them involved to stay in that match. So this is just both matches, both nights just shows what men's volleyball is when it comes to full team aspect and not just having one golden star, right? A good team will have one golden star, but the top performing teams and programs are going to have numerous guys who can be at least consistent
5: and not be a black hole on the court.
4: Yeah. All right, good stuff.
0: Let's go to Brad.
5: Yeah, I mean, night one was, I mean, Pepperdine and Jalen Jasper kept him in the game. And the interesting stat there was in the 5 set match, Pepperdine had zero aces, in um, the entire match, which is rare to see, especially for a team with some of the servers that they have, um, with Akeen, with Kaylin, um, with Bryce Dvorak, they have three pretty gnarly servers. So to hold them to zero aces is pretty big. Um, and then you look at the MPSF, it's, got yeah, Grand Canyon, BYU, Pepperdine. I think all three of those teams had five-set matches. I think night one of Grand Canyon, BYU was five-set, and then night two, Grand Canyon won in three or four sets. But we're looking at this NPSF tournament looking really exciting and really enticing um, with some of those three, four matchups. And, I, and I'd say Meeks is, he's up there as one of the best players uh, for BYU for sure. Um, and I think he's putting himself in a spot to be, um, you know, considered the guy on that team, um, which is impressive. But it's really since he's earned that spot last season, he's he hasn't come off the court and there, everyone else has been revolving around him. So he's been their, their steady piece for sure. No, Yeah. Close so Brad, with
3: I agree. I think for the record, he is the guy and he is a star. No doubt. No doubt. Over and he Jay. might have been my player of the week too before someone called him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys can have the same one. You don't have to pick a new guy. Again, it's just agreement.
1: <laughs> All right, Jay. I'll be, I'll be brief. Yeah, BYU had a little bit of a downturn there for a little while. Weather setter Hughes was not in the lineup. I think he is a a major reason why BYU is humming on all cylinders right now. He distributes the rock really well and keeps that team flowing. So, yeah, as long as he's healthy, they're going to be pretty good.
0: You know, uh, I think Theo mentioned about Pepperdine, about being a one-pony show and and then other supporting members. But night two, if you look at the stats, they had four athletes in double-digit kills for Pepperdine and BYU still got the win. And, and yes, they held Jalen Jasper. They contained him, but the other guys at Pepperdine obviously made a change their game plan where they were more involved in the offense and BYU is still able to stop them. So, you know, I think you're spot on with Heath Hughes back in the lineup. It's not that Noah Hain didn't do his thing. He, he held the fort. And now they're humming on all cylinders. As Jay likes to say humming on all cylinders of his microbus by Volkswagen coming in 2024. So, um, let's jump over to our <laughs> our we gotta get one of those teaser that's a cool shirt uh um, final topic of our matches and this is Dan's favorite apparently because he jumped the gun two topics early uh number 15 Ohio State defeating number one Penn State that is a big match because we were wondering okay what how's Ohio state going to respond right now the kind of mid-level in in Miva conference you know they've kind of getting some bad lot, not bad losses, but losses were unexpected, but uh, thoughts on it. We'll start with the home conference guy, Dan of Lewis. Well, when you miss
2: 400 serves, you hope your opponent win. <laughs> I think Penn State missed, what is it? Well, I, I don't know, was it 29 or 39? Does anybody have it in front of them? So, I'll pull um, it up. I mean, 29 serving errors. Kudos to Ohio State. Um, they've inserted Shane Wetzel. And Michael Wright, Michael Wright's setting them. Shane Wetzel's been playing. He's a true freshman that's been playing over the course of the past couple weeks. Um, And I think he's done a real nice job for them in balancing some things out. And uh, I think they capitalized, you know, certainly it went five, but to miss that many serves, uh, I don't think Penn State's going to always miss that many. We've seen Penn State serve really, really well. And that's really what's put them in the advantage. I think you call it complacent. Like, I don't think Pav's going in saying uh, not to play hard or not to under under underlook or underestimate anybody. I think as a coach, we all go in and make sure our guys are aware of no matter what the team is. But I think the guys could have gone in a little bit and just not been as clean as they wanted to be in a pretty competitive match. And Ohio State capitalized at the right time. So
0: Let's go to our EIVA rep now, Jay I
1: I'll be honest with you. Ohio State had three guys that hit in double-digit kills, and Penn State had one and you know brett wildman has uh not gone away but he's definitely not the brett wildman that everybody saw in the beginning part of the year and i and i i shudder to think that there's anything going on injury wise i hope there's not uh but you know when when your leading guy is cal fisher which is obviously everybody knows that name he's good your next highest is a middle attacker toby getting 10 kills and then after that it's nine um and like i said ohio state had three guys in double digits michael wright did a nice job distributing the rock and then you know the the other uh unran factors the serves 30 nearly 30 serves at six a game basically on the average when you start anything oh six technically that's going to be not in your favor most of the time so the fact that they made it go five shows you some things but yeah ohio state just took it to them
0: yeah 29 service errors and uh the stat line that sticks out is A hot player for Penn State was Michal Koval, outside hitter. He was limited to zero hitting that night. So, uh, you know, that very rarely has been happening this season. So let's jump over to Larry Rather of uh, Fort Valley.
4: I mean, as you look at the stat sheet right now, Penn State led in kills by seven, hit better in the match, uh, got barely outdug it really came down to those serves as you look at it, right? 14 free points that you gave them as you wash it out from 15, missed serves from Ohio state 29 from Penn state 14 free points. I mean, anybody takes that with a decent level squad and can run away with it. Uh, And then you add in that you have numerous guys hitting double digits. They're taking some points away from you while you're giving them some free points. So they did a good job of capitalizing on that in the match um, as they went. So, it's a good big 10 rivalry that we get to see every year as when they see each other. So, you know, when they walk in, there's some bad blood with one another. (laughs) Jump over to Brad of UC San
0: Diego. I need to say that more often. UC San Diego. There you go. Bonus.
5: Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim this person as my player of the week because I'm going to wait till the segment pulls up, but (laughs) the player of the week might be coming from one of these two teams. <laughs> um, in honor of their three and zero week, but um, the big piece, you know, like Larry touched on it, there is the the stats. Ohio State was worse in just about every category. They passed worse, they served worse, or they uh, attacked worse. But uh, serving was that big piece, you know. And there's a match like this once every year, a couple times each year, where it's a statistical anomaly in terms of you look at everything and it's like, yep, Penn State probably should have won this match. But those errors from the service line. And you know, and that's part of the debate when we talk about the serving debate and what it looks like. Um, because there's times when Penn State's beating Hawaii and it looks great. And there's times where it's like, why the heck could we not pop a float serve in to win this match in the fifth set? Um, <laughs> and that's kind of like that fine line. Um, but yeah, and I think someone flying under the radar right now is Jacob Pastor. He's been playing some really good volleyball. Um, he's really been one of the better outside hitters within the Miva um, with everything he's doing. Um, He's been playing really well. And uh, I agree with Jay that Wildman has not been um, the Wildman as of the past few years, he's been off a little bit this year um, and hopefully for Penn state's sake. And for his sake, I mean, he's a very, very talented player. So I'd love to see him kind of get back on track here for this stretch run. I know we can
0: go into a full discussion on this topic, but I'm going to ask Brad only, but isn't the ACE to error rate within the tolerance level that most coaches will accept that because there's 12, uh,
5: how many ACEs they had? They had 12, 12. ACEs to 29 errors. Yeah. I uh, mean, it, it depends. It depends on what you're looking at for the stats and the scores. And, you know, most of the time when we see uh match like this, You know, we're going to look at, like, you see Penn State wins 25-18 in the second set, pretty wide margin. They win 25-22 in the third set. And then the fifth set, it's 15-13, you know, to where it's like, it just depends on that wiggle room that you're going to get to have. And, you know, it's not so much that, like, those guys in the match, you're going to be telling them, hey, hit a float serve, or hey, roll shot to serve in. It's, are there, is there a serving sub you have on the bench that potentially could be a float? Your backup libero, whether it's um, your fourth outside, someone that has a float serve in their repertoire, where if we know we got them in a certain rotation, that we can sub in someone who's got a more consistent, less aggressive serve. Um, that might be an opportunity to maximize um, our team playing well in some other areas of the game. Yeah. This could be
1: known as 2023, the year of the Jakobs, because you have Jakob Tella, <laughs> Jakob Steele, and now Jakob Pasteur. <laughs> Whoa! we've made wow. them all
0: norwegians
2: somehow yeah.
0: Jakob. <laughs> Jakob.
2: i was gonna Jakob, i was gonna throw in his Brad. i think that rob the you talk about the ac air ratio the thing that becomes bigger is are you how are you points scoring in a row and what's the air percentage when you're point scoring in that row that becomes a bigger thing like if i got a guy that's green lighting and he's point scoring i don't know 47 percent. let's just throw a wild number out there and there's air rates up around 20%. I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? But if we're points scoring in a row and it's like upper 30s and the guy's still airing like 25, then we're having a little conversation about what's going on. And so not a lot of people see that number where coaches do. The coaches, like when you're on a stat box for you, you just see the ace air ratio and you're like, well, what is a coach like? I'm like, that one doesn't matter as much to me as what we're doing for rotational po- point scoring and how that air percentage pulls into that.
5: So. And here's an interesting piece. I just pulled it up on metrics. Ohio State, good pass percentage. So when Ohio State passed the ball, good pass meeting. They're in system. They were in system twenty seven percent of the time. <laughs> Penn State was in system fifty percent of the time when they passed the ball. Wow.
0: You know, uh, I look like Theo. You're about to say something. I don't want to cut you off there.
3: Well, and the you know the interesting piece too. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but didn't this game end with back to back aces? Yes. Float Ohio, serves. Ohio state had back to back aces to win it float and serves float serves. And I mean, if you look at this match across the board, Penn state served good, good enough to win. They absolutely did. They couldn't receive the ball in float serve reception back to back to end it. And so, you know, I, you look at the, you look at some of these numbers. I mean, they're, they're pretty, pretty impressive for sure. Uh, but to see both, Brett Wildman and and Michael Valenzi take 20, 46 swings. One hits 043, the other hits 174. I mean, that's the difference in the match right there. Um I, I I watched this match and I felt like you couldn't set Cal Fisher enough. He hit 500. They set him 34 times. I was thinking let's set him like 58 times. The guy was absolutely killing every almost every single ball that he touched. Um so yeah, this was, this was a real disappointment, I think, for Penn State because I think this was a low-hanging fruit. They could have won this match for sure. They needed just a few point scores at the end and maybe pass a couple of flow serves, and it's a different story for sure.
0: Yep. Well, you know, you're mentioning, well, you, know, you should have said Fisher 50 times. Well, in the other match, BYU Pep 9, Jill and Jasper 62 <laughs> attempts. So
5: <Yeah.
0: laughs> and they still didn't get it done. They still couldn't do it. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, I know we are going long, but, you know, we, we want to focus on uh, what's happening in each of the conferences. I said go through a quick rundown of the other conferences and the coaches representing, uh Theo, you comfortable doing MPSF? So I'm going to have you do that and have Brad do the uh, big West if sure. possible. Cause yeah. I'm not, I don't, I hate talking. I want you guys always be the focus. So uh, in conference standing so far, NEC you got Damon Long Island tied seven at the top at uh, seven and one St. Francis knocking on the door there. Uh for well, Damon the- took a loss to St. Francis, right? in five, right? Yep. Yep. At Damon. Yep. In the IVA, Lincoln Memorial atop 5-0 and uh Missouri S T 2-0. So they're still working that out. The Conference Carolinas, that's a really tight race there. You have North Greenville Erskine. They're tied for first, one-seven three, eight and four for the latter. And you have a bunch of teams with four and five losses in the middle of the pack there, Uh, which leaves us, we're going to end with Larry to talk about the SIAC. Oh, did I forget the, no, I did do the NEC. So let's start with Jay with the EIBA update.
1: Yeah. Penn state's still obviously holding court. uh, And you're looking at number two through four that are all fighting for that seed to be in the first round by you know, the, the, the real goal will be, Obviously to be a one or a two seed, but if you're one of the bottom four teams, you want to be either number three or number six, because that means you're going to be in the first round, obviously in a quarterfinal match, but that means in the second round, you don't face Penn State in the semis and that's the team you don't want to be. So um, yeah, right now, Charleston, Charleston's in second place and they're doing some good things. But Princeton's right there knocking on the door. And if NGIT gets hot again, they're going to be knocking on the door. It's a hotly contested conference right now. Every team is good.
0: Yep, scary conference right now. You don't know who's going to rise up. Let's go to the Miva, Dan Friend of Lewis.
2: Well, certainly Loyola still got some separation at 9-1 and at the top. Uh, But I thought what was key was Lindenwood traveled to Ball State and Ohio State. And we were wondering where they might be. They lost both those matches on the road. So, you know, Ball State and Ohio State pull a little separation tied for second right now, uh, with Lindenwood coming in at fourth. And then, uh, there's you know, us and Purdue are tied at five and five. And then McKendry and Quasier uh, are down at, uh, seven and eight. So, uh, Ball State, Ohio State come to me this weekend along with McKendry. So those are kind of key road games for those guys. Uh, and then Lindenwood's got to play, uh, Lewis and, or, uh, Loyola and Purdue. So Lindenwood, can kind of make some ground or figure some things out, kind of to, to find that separation, or they could drop. So it'd be interesting to see how it this next weekend rolls into the last. So
0: cool. Let's go over to uh, Theo Everett, who had experience in the MPSF back in his playing days. So we're gonna have him do that update.
3: Yeah. So the MPSF is as we kind of expected, is incredibly competitive. UCLA at number one, and they're obviously six and oh. I thought a really interesting thing about that is if you look at the individual stat leaders in the MPSF, UCLA is not leading in any category other than blocking. Hmm. I thought that was a really, really interesting stat. And obviously it's a testament to the fact that that team is incredibly balanced in a lot of ways. Now they are number two, number three, and number four in service aces. They don't have the number one spot, but they're two, three, and four, which I thought was Pretty incredible if that doesn't tell you why they're winning. Um, Grand Canyon at number two, and you know, they probably would love to be seven and one at this point, but they're six and two, uh, with Concordia throwing in a little bit of a wrench. Uh, and the other interesting piece is with Pepperdine and BYU coming into this week, Pepperdine was four and two. Uh, BYU was two and four, and now they're both four and four with BYU having the tie split, uh, which I think is probably going to really bite Pepperdine down the stretch when we start to look at the tournament standings and and where that's all going to play out. Uh, Stanford, USC, and Concordia are are at the bottom. Stanford, two and four. USC, one and five, which I don't know that most people expected at this point in the game. And Concordia right there at one and five as well. So it's anyone's ballgame, I think, in in terms of the middle of the pack. And UCLA is, is leading the charge. And I think that's what we all kind of thought would happen.
0: Yep. Let's go to a Big West update with the Big West rookie Brad ross Stratter, and you can't say UC Irvine undefeated 4-0 at the top. I'll do that.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Irvine's up at the top 4-0. Um, and then we have Hawaii and Long Beach who have their split out in Hawaii, the one in one matchup out there. So both of those teams are at 3-1. And what we're seeing is kind of those top three teams in the Big West. And then we have the next grouping of Big West teams with CSUN and the Fighting Theo Edwards at 1-3. And San Diego and Santa Barbara were both 1-4 um, and really over the next two weeks, we're going to get a lot more clarity in terms of how everything's shaping out um, just as more of these head-to-head matchups are are coming our way. Um, yeah, with-
0: a big shuffle, I predict as well, in the Big West these upcoming three weeks. Uh, and then let's close out with our new conference representative of the SIAC, Larry Rather of Fort Valley State.
4: Yeah, so right now the way it's sitting, the way I like to look at it is, with six teams, we have three tiers within our conference. You have your top tier, which is Edward Waters, Central State, who are your conference co-season champions in the regular season. And then Central State won it out in the playoffs. Uh, but Everwater's Waters is unbeaten right now this season. Um, both teams are extremely scrappy. Uh, they have some guys who are smart with the ball and can do some really good things from the inline and attacking. Um, and then you have Benedict and us in that middle tier of we both have those stars, as we talked about. Right. And we're trying to figure out those balance and pieces with it to help add into that team to get them into that top half. Um, and then you have your bottom half, which are, they're just still trying to figure things out. Uh, Morehouse and Kentucky State both went through coaching changes in the middle of the year last year. <laughs> so these coaches are still trying to figure out the guys that are there that necessarily they didn't recruit but are in their gym that they're trying to make better still. And I can say Morehouse's record doesn't look it, but they're a ton better than they were last year. Uh, They're actually looking like they're playing some decent volleyball now, and they're starting to figure some things out with a bunch of walk-ons. So things are coming along. Um, Just some stat lines that I've pulled up to mention for you guys to talk about the conferences. If you look individually, we have guys from in our conference, whether it's, three to four guys in the top 30% of statistics. So in aces, we have three guys in the top 30 Uh, assists. We have two in the top 30 attackers and attacks. We have four in the top 30 digs. We have four in the top 20% of all athletes hitting percentage. We have three in the top 30% Uh, kills. We have four in the top 25%. So like we have guys that can produce things at a very high level it's just getting the rest of it to come along with it. Um, and we, you guys kind of joke on Jalen about having his 64 attempts. Well, in a straight dog fight against Benedict for us on Friday night, Jesse Delancey had 83 attempts with 36 kills, hitting 246, I wanna say. And then we had Isaiah Fed, who had 50 attempts with 30 kills, hitting four something. So like those guys were just in a slugfest and our fifth set, I believe went 21 to 19 because it was those two just swinging it out against each other of who's gonna make that error first to give the other team the advantage. I hate to say it, we were the ones who gave them the advantage but it just goes to show you like the level of play and the guys we have in this conference are up there with other conferences. It just may not be as clean as everyone else for a longer period of time it's we all have those moments where it's really great volleyball and it looks beautiful and then we have moments and we go what the hell was that what just happened (laughs) right and that and that's a part of only being in your second year of a conference you're going to have those troubles and you're going to have those hardships but to show that you have guys that are number one in digs number one in kills per set um 14, 15, 16 and aces, um, you have one and two and digs between central and Benedict, um, kills. You have one 20, 23 and 25, right. And all these guys are freshmen and sophomores. They're, they're young guys still trying to figure out what it's like to compete at this high of a level and against higher caliber teams and being consistent with that day in and day out. And I think that's where you find a lot of young players still struggling is how can I tie this together and do a copy paste scenario, right? How do I take this good night and copy it and paste it every single day, day in and day out. And once they figure that out, it's going to be some, some really good things coming out of the SIAC.
0: Excellent stuff. Great update too, Larry. Appreciate it. So uh, guys follow all the conferences, all these teams here, they're being representatives. You guys have 10 minutes. I know we're running long, so. Because we got to do our favorite segments, and I did want to get some fan questions on there too. There's only two. One is for all of you, and one is directed at Jay. That's a oh, shock. Yes. <laughs> what is it? I'm ready. <laughs> and but let's go here first. Um, what are you guys watching in week? Is that 13 of the NCAA men's volleyball season? Let's start with Larry
4: i haven't even gotten that far i got too much going on here i haven't had time to look <laughs> right. anywhere else to be honest with you let's go to your twin brother. Going on. <laughs> <laughs> twin brother thea will bail you out
3: <laughs> i got it i got it i'll take it um i think ucla and grand canyon um that's gonna be an <laughs> ultimate matchup I you know i think uh Grand Canyon obviously coming off of a difficult week. It'll be interesting to see how they refocus um, and get it going against the Bruins who are obviously playing some fantastic ball.
0: Wow. Big call right off the bat. Let's go to uh, Dan of Lewis.
2: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw Theo some love. He's got to play Irvine who's currently ahead in conference right now. So we'll see if uh, he can get his guys to bounce back uh, playing Rob's guys. So that'll be pretty key. I think in terms of conference play. Uh, besides that uh, Lindenwood in our conference I think uh, how do they respond they got to play loyal Loyola Purdue Fort Wayne both teams that are playing pretty well uh, can Lindenwood take that step they got a pretty talented group uh, and to we'll see where they go with that
3: let to Dan, Brad. Can I get your prediction of Cal State Northridge and UCR Irvine please
2: uh, split <laughs> you're gonna get one you guys are gonna split
3: <laughs> oh man salt going the way
2: don't send me hate, mail, Maldiffin. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs>
0: the sprinkler of salt is, is a circular one.
5: It's the rainbird version. <laughs> Let's go to Brad of UC San Diego. I got, I'm sticking with my theme. I had Erskine King last week. Erskine won in five sets in a, in a battle to put him in position to be first in Conference Carolina. And then we got Erskine again versus North Greenville um, out in the Conference Carolina for the battle for first place. And then out in the EVA, NJIT versus Charleston. Yep. Uh, I see Charleston taking taking it and, and running away with it. Big call. Let's
0: go over to Jay.
1: Hey, listen, I I the matches that I'm watching, absolutely NJIT Charleston. Uh, I, I, I would not be surprised if Charleston takes both of them. NJIT is finally at full strength again, uh, which will be interesting to see if they can get back into rhythm. The other one, obviously, is UCLA Grand Canyon. Uh, my question is, is it at Grand Canyon or at UCLA? Grand Canyon. Canyon. Here's my thought. If Worley could pack that place with, you know, a few thousand people to be able to make it real wild and crazy and throw a little rave in there in the beginning, whatever. Grand Canyon could take a match. If not two of them. Ooh, look at that.
4: That, that, As I got the second to look. (laughs) There were two matches and one being SIEC of uh, Central State and Ever Waters who are our top two in our conference. Ever Waters being unbeaten and Central State playing some good volleyball, they lost at Ever Waters and now it's going to be at Central. So Central is a very tough gym to play in. Uh, and the second match was at UCLA Grand Canyon, just because I want to see how Grand Canyon competes at that level and how long they can sustain it, uh, and then seeing UCLA compete in that gym of havocs. Yep, I'm going to pick one this week because I thought for sure one of you guys would
0: have picked it, but the Miva Ohio State at Lewis that logjam. I feel like the Meva is like super competitive right now to a point where it's it's a the biggest question mark of all because I feel like all those teams can really battle with each other uh, from what I've seen at least this season. So, I know Dan against uh, Kevin, Ohio State at Lewis. So, with that let's go. I'm going to do the fan questions last, but I wanted to get your guys player picks of the week. Let's start with Larry rather since
4: everyone else has named it except for Larry, I'm pretty sure i'll start with him <laughs> uh I'm, i mean looking at stat wise going back to what we talked about earlier is is gage i think he played some really good volleyball um and i'm obviously taking somebody else's because they brought it up earlier but sorry i got to go first you you didn't say it i did so <laughs> that's that's who i'm going with uh gage double I'm by.
5: <laughs> good call let's go to brad hopefully he doesn't steal someone else's already no, I, I thought about stealing Jay or Dan's, but I'm going to go with uh, Jacob Pastor. Had a, on the three matches, he hit had 44 kills, hit 400 over the three matches, um, killed 60% of the balls. Um, and I know Dan's going to be trying to figure out how to stop him and slow him down a little bit um, in the matchup this weekend.
0: <laughs> and then uh, Jay, who's named the Jakob trio this week, uh, I'm sure it's a Jakob, but one's down already. So what other Yakub are you going to choose?
1: Jakob Harrington. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Ben Harrington is my choice uh, this week. The kid hits the absolute snot out of the ball uh, and was instrumental in beating Loyola, who is currently, I think, ranked eighth or ninth at that time. Uh, And for Princeton, who was unranked at that time, it was a good match for him. So that's my choice.
2: And then the Dan, even though he already said it. Yeah, I got mixed Ramos, like uh, two great matches for BYU to get two wins and five for them and Nineteen points one night, twenty points the other night. Uh, yeah, he's one. And then close out with
3: Theo. It pains me to say it, but I think my player of the week is Chaz Galloway. Um, you know, <laughs> the first first night he hits five hundred, second night he hits four and change, and um, you know he had a he just had a fantastic week, especially after coming off of a, a little bit of a lull for him offensively. He uh, took advantage of the fact that he was not number one on the scouting report and did a pretty nice job for them. You
0: know, there was a picture that came out on social of Chaz Galloway coming in on the big. I don't know if you guys saw it, but dude seriously has wings on his ankles. I think his feet were above the bottom tape of the net and he's on, not even at the peak of his attack. And he was like levitating above the skies of LA or in the Valley. So uh, yeah, he was on fire.
4: (laughs) Um, Jay, Jay, on your, on Ben, I don't know how many of you have like actually shook hands with Ben, but he's like the Kawhi Leonard volleyball. This kid's hands are massive, and he just gets a hold of balls, which helps him so much. It's like shaking
1: a a, a bunch of bananas. It's a pretty pretty big hand there.
5: <laughs> How do you know where I've to go? Read, honestly, I have
2: never. Heard, I've heard a lot of analogies, like, and I have never heard that one. Like, <laughs>
3: that's <laughs> actually from a Jack Black film, I believe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: All right, all right. Pop culture invades
0: CVW.
1: <laughs> Yeah, he said, he said, what's up, banana hands?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's go to our fan questions. This is for all, everyone on here. So whoever wants to take a stab at it, feel free. But this is from our fan question segment on March 13th. And we were only able to hit three of them since these guys on the screen did an awesome job of addressing each of them. And there's some big topics. So um, these ones are a little lighter. But uh, here's the question. What are the coaches thoughts on the top players in high school? Are there any guys they see making a big splash in the college game, or potentially even further down the line? Who we, wants? To we pick? can't.
1: We can't answer that. Can't do that. NCAA <laughs> violation. So we, oh, we really? can say oh. we can say this. Uh, There's some good players in high school, and some of us on the screen are getting some of those good players, and that's. Believe we'll it at that. Oh wow! I
0: forgot about it. NCAA regs. My bad.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: that's a great question though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we want to give you love, so you know. Here's the big one. It was directed to Jay. And since you guys couldn't answer that, answer that last question, it's, it did say Jay, how is the greater Fairfax DC area going to
1: promote the NCAA tournament this year? Well, I, I think we touched upon that a couple of weeks ago there, there, we're planning and preparing. And, and, you know, we had a test run yesterday in the Eagle bank to make sure all the stuff was working and all that was good. And, you know, we're excited just to bring everybody into town and, and show them a good time and, you know, hopefully the the stadium will be packed with you know fans from across the country. I think I think we're doing a good job of marketing it out right now. Um, but yeah, we're we're ramping up and it's getting close to crunch time. And you know, we're just excited to host the country's best in our backyard for for a week. Jay, yeah. How many
3: seats are in that arena? Ten thousand. Ten thousand.
1: Yep. It's a it's about the same size as Stan Sheriff, uh, and and it's a great place to play play volleyball. It's really really fun to play in there. Yeah, I think the other thing we
2: talked about a couple of weeks ago is they have a USA Accelerator going on. So it's a a, a boys uh, opportunity for some training that's going on for two or three days. So we're bringing a lot of East Coast boys in for that, which will help promote uh, both the semifinals and the finals for sure. Uh, the All-American Banquet is in conjunction with that going on at the same time for all the guys that are playing in it, as well as the ABCA board meeting will be there as well. So just some outside things that are going on.
0: So. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Sorry I wasn't able to get that first question answered, but instead we had the bonus surprise of Larry Rather of Fort Valley State joining us this week. So again, Larry Rather Fort Valley State, Theo Edwards of Cal State Northridge, Dan Fran of Lewis, Jay Hossick of George Mason, Brad Rostrader of UC San Diego. Be sure to follow all these guys' programs on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, for all you old folk. MySpace, not quite there yet, but they do still have their websites. Be sure to visit them. Go to their streams. Visit VolleyballMag.com's live streamings, update along with off the blocks and other places where you can get all of your volleyball information. There's a few out there. Sorry if I left you out, but guys, thank you for this morning's extended episode. Larry, thanks for joining us. And I'm looking forward to seeing Theo this Friday and then the rest of you on Monday. So uh, best of luck to y'all this week, except for Theo. Yeah. Good luck,
4: Theo.
3: <laughs> hey, thanks, Dan. Appreciate that.
0: Thanks for listening to college volleyball weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Sparrow at the Rob on the mic on Instagram and at Rob on the mic on Twitter.